0: Welcome to the latest edition of the Registers of Scotland podcast. I'm Roman Smith and I'll be today's podcast host. Today we'll be discussing equality, diversity and inclusion at ROS. Around 18 months ago we embarked on our journey to improve equality, diversity and inclusion at ROS for both colleagues and customers. Our EDI project is led by a steering group made up of subject matter experts a colleague forum who advises steering groups on areas for improvement and support colleagues with new changes. And our staff networks who raise awareness of a range of protected characteristics and support colleagues with any issues they may be facing. Our work is far from over, but so far we've delivered some meaningful improvements with many more planned. Today I'm joined by Keeper of the Registers of Scotland, Jennifer Henderson non-executive director at ROS, Andrew Harvey, and our EDI lead at ROS, Elizabeth Akerang. Thank you so much for joining us today. It'd be great to find out a little bit about yourselves and what your job is. Jennifer, let's start with you. Would you be able to tell our new listeners a little bit about yourself? Hi, everyone.
1: Thanks for joining us. I'm Jennifer Henderson, Keeper of the Registers of Scotland, as the title suggests. That means I keep 21 public Registers on behalf of the people of Scotland, legal registers that mostly relate to land and property. Um, We underpin the economy, so, a very important organisation to serve the citizens of Scotland. Um, I'm also the chief executive of the organisation, so I have responsibility for ensuring the organisation delivers its job effectively.
0: Thank you, Jennifer. Andrew, thank you for joining us today. It's your first time on our podcast. Would you be able to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself?
2: Yes, of course. Uh, So My name is Andrew Harvey. I'm a non-executive director. So that means along with uh, Jennifer and her EMT, I'm a member of the board, but I don't have an exec role. So I'm uh, part-time at ROS and do some other things in my working life. Our job, I guess, as advisors, as members of of the ROS board, is to um, provide support, challenge, encouragement to the executive management team. Um, to encourage them when we think they're doing absolutely the right thing, and sometimes to ask some slightly difficult questions when we think there might be better ways of doing things or we might not have covered off all of the bases. Uh, As well as my role on the board, I chair the Audit Committee and have been a member of that since 2016. Uh, And The Audit Committee has really quite specific responsibilities, making sure that public money is, is protected, spent sensibly, Uh, and that we're managing the risks in the organisation, which obviously every public body has, um, but there are some particular and peculiar ones at ROS, given the natures of the registers we look after.
0: Thank you, Andrew. Elizabeth, you've recently joined ROS as our Equality, Diversity and Inclusion expert. Could you share a bit about your role and why you've come
3: to work in this space? Hi everyone, so I'm Elizabeth A. Curran and I joined Ross on the very last day of January and my role is that of um, a subject, senior subject matter expert, um, a thought leader and also a change agent in the arena of equality, diversity and inclusion. And um, part of my role is to ensure that we have an action plan, a fit for purpose action plan, that backs our um, diverse EDI strategy to ensure that we drive forward the key initiatives at the strategic level and also at the operational level. i also ensure that as a public organisation, Ross meets its legal and statutory obligations under the Equality Act of 2010. Um, part of my role is also to ensure that we embed um, EDI across all the facets of the organization, and that um, um, I advise and counsel and leadership and um, all the various um, levels of um, within Ross organization on EDI um, initiatives. Um, I keep um, the organisation abreast with change, with changes in EDI, be it best practice, be it legal changes, or be it statutory obligations, and anything concerned with EDI, I am the um, subject matter that helps the organisation.
0: Thank you, Elizabeth. As I mentioned at the start of the podcast today, we're talking about all things EDI. So shall we kick off today's discussion by sharing our thoughts on why EDI in the workplace is so important? Jennifer, will we start with you?
1: From a Roz perspective, I think EDI is important for two reasons. And I said a minute ago, my job is to ensure we deliver for the citizens of Scotland. The citizens of Scotland are diverse. So if we are going to do the best we can to serve them We need to be representative of the people we serve, so we need to be a diverse organisation. But I also think that as a public sector organisation, we want to attract the very best talent to come and work with us so that we can deliver the best job for our customers. And I think by having a very clear agenda around equality, diversity and inclusion, We are an attractive place for people to come and work. We're somewhere where people feel their careers can thrive. So we'll get the very best people to be representative of Scotland, to do the very best job for serving the people of Scotland. And that's, for me, in a nutshell, why EDI is so important for us. I think that's an organisational view. I just say on a personal front, I think it is just as a leader of an organisation. Of course, you want to lead an organisation that provides the very best opportunities for everyone, is a diverse, vibrant organisation that brings great people in with different lifestyles different backgrounds different experiences we get the best ideas that way and i want to lead an organization that's inclusive i want everybody to come to work be their authentic selves and deliver their very best days work for us and i think the edi agenda helps us deliver that as well
0: thank you so much jennifer that was a great view from both our chief executive and personal level that was that was great thank you elizabeth what What is
3: your thoughts on EDI in the workplace? Why is it so important? Um, first of all, um, EDI is important because as a public body at Ross, EDI is compulsory or it's a statutory obligation that we have to meet. So we have to ensure that as an organisation, we legally protect under the Equality Act of 2010, we legally protect people from discrimination in the workplace and the wider um, society. So that means we have to look across our strategic and operational areas, and um, whether if we are we are meeting the criteria under the nine main protected characteristics, which are age, disability, gender reassignment, marriage and civil partnership, pregnancy, maternity, religion or belief, and sex. Also, I think that um, the imperative that drives edi today is different from the compliance driven tactics of previous years where it was kind of imposed on us um, and it was like as a result of race riots or you know um, um other um other discriminatory um legal cases etc However, research has shown that there is a strong correlation between EDI efforts and also key performance indicators, such as productivity, engagement and retention of employees. The world around us is changing rapidly. And if Ross wants to maintain its position as a first-class organisation here in Scotland, then it has to be able to ensure that as an organisation, we recognise the strengths in our similarities and use these strengths to bolster the weaknesses of our perceived differences. So we must keep abreast with the changes, ensure that our, our employees and our colleagues bring the best version of themselves and I'll reiterate what Jennifer said previously, we bring our authentic selves to the organisation and not that we recruit them in but we also make sure that we retain them to be able to perform to the best of their abilities whilst they work here at ROSS.
0: Thank you so much Elizabeth and thank you for giving that background um, into what EDI actually is and the protected characteristics, that was great, thank you. And Andrew I'll come to you lastly, why do you think EDI is so important in the workplace?
2: Well, after uh, Jennifer and Elizabeth's very full answers, I might not have a great deal to add, but there's, a, I guess, a couple of perspectives from me. Um, the first, is, I sort of make no apologies for this. Um, it is the right thing to do. And I don't think we should shy away as leaders from saying we're doing this because it's the right thing to do. Some organisations wouldn't put that at the top of their list, um, but I think in the civil service that's particularly important. You know, fairness is at the centre of civil service principles, obviously in the services that we provide to citizens, but I think also in the way we treat each other in the workplace. Um, so, what one for me? It's the right thing to do. But but almost beyond that, and it's to Elizabeth's point of, about what are the advantages? You know, in in a sense almost commercial advantages for Ros in taking this approach. And, and for me, it's really clear. It, it's about attracting the widest range of talent and i say that because there's really clear evidence that says that diverse teams simply perform better in organizations and you know um, you, you, yes you can read all the published research but actually you know we can all uh, think of times when we've worked in teams where everybody's quite similar where they have a narrower view of the world uh, and as a result they you know frankly i've i've been a member of those teams um you know you bring fewer fresh ideas as a result and I want to to help lead an organization where there's a range of challenges from people about the way in which we do things or Uh, what our priorities should be and you will only get that if we have a workforce that is representative of the population of Scotland so uh, and and the way to do that because we like all other public sector organisations and almost all private organisations haven't been in that place before so we'll only do that by some concerted action on our part.
0: Thank you so much Andrew. So last year we published our EDI strategy for 2020 to 2025. This strategy sets out a clear statement of purpose around equality, diversity and inclusion and why acting on
3: this is essential to Rose.
0: Elizabeth, would you be able to tell our listeners about what is outlined in this strategy?
3: So the EDI strategy is the main conduit of vehicle, whereby Ross is going to ensure that we embed an EDI across the organization. So it looks at various themes. The first theme that it looks at is to build an inclusive working environment where everyone equally feels valued and respected, where everyone can communicate effectively and everyone can work to the best of their ability. The second theme that the strategy looks at is an engaged, high-performing workforce that reflects modern Scottish society. And the third theme that um, the strategy looks at is high-quality delivery on needs and expectations of our diverse customer base for all. And this um, strategy has been broken into work streams um, in the broad areas of training, resource recruitment, policies and culture change, key performance indicators and measures of success, communication and budget.
0: Thank you, Elizabeth. That was a great um, explanation and introduction to what is actually included in the strategy. So now that we know a bit about the strategy itself, can you tell us a bit about what work has been done so far for our colleagues?
3: Some of the work that we have done um, for our colleagues is um, we have um, lots of networks here at Ross. And that is one of the main methods, which we make sure that colleagues across the organization um, are influencing the EDI actions and also the EDI EDI decision-making, ensuring that we are scoping out the right priorities and ensuring that whatever priorities that we determine as an organization to carry out is something that is fit for purpose for the organization. So we have the EDI Colleague Forum, we also have the the um, um, LGBT network. We have the Carers network. We also have the Neurodiversity Network, and we also have the EU Nationals Network. Above all this, we have the EDI Steering Committee, which is chaired by our keeper, Jennifer, to ensure that we influence the direction in which um, the EDI priorities here um, at, at Ross are being determined. And also, we are measuring the outcomes of, and, and looking at, at, at areas of best practice and also areas of weaknesses that we need to strengthen further. We also carried out the AO recruitment project, which um, which was very which was very successful. And you know, not only was it successful, but the data that emerged out of the recruitment that has been measured also so also showed that we applied a lot of best practices, you know, in the recruitment project here at Rose. We also have the I'll leave the AO recruitment um, project for Jennifer to talk about because that's. That's her baby and that's her pride and joy. And then we are also working on the the Corporate Equality Impact Assessment Programme to ensure that um, all changes and policies here at ROS within a three-year cycle have undergone um, equality impact assessment so that out of the assessments will emerge action plans to show where we may be inadvertently, you know, and um, discriminating against some groups and also areas of best practice as well and also areas whereby we can borrow ideas and replicate it across the organisation. So these are some of the examples we have done.
0: Thank you so much, Elizabeth. And Jennifer, if you want to jump on in, go for it. <laughs> Yeah, I'll just, I will. There's a
1: couple of things I was going to mention. Um, yeah, Elizabeth is right to mention the AO recruitment campaign is something that um, I think it's a good example where we engaged with an external organisation, the Coalition for Race, Equality and Rights, and we listened carefully to their advice about what would you do if you're running a recruitment campaign to create the best possible climate to attract a really diverse pool of candidates and then to provide a process that enables people to do their best? through the process. So we tried everything they suggested. And as Elizabeth said, it has been very successful and has given us lots of learning. And we've shared it widely with a number of other public sector organisations so that they can learn from our experiences. So that was a good example for me of looking at where we can engage with other organisations who have expertise, pull that expertise in and try it. A couple of other things i wanted to talk about in terms of what we've done um and elizabeth's already mentioned the colleague networks which are hugely important in relation to that sort of support for people from different diverse groups but we've put a lot of emphasis on wider awareness raising across the organization because i'm a real believer that making progress on the edi agenda has to get the whole organization behind it everybody has protected characteristics the difference is whether or not you are in a minority with that protected characteristic relative to the people around you and i think one of the things that we're having a lot of success with is getting people who've never really thought about the edi agenda to realize why it matters to get engaged and to think about how they can show support to colleagues. I mean, a a tiny example, but it's making a big difference, has been increasing number of colleagues putting their pronouns in their signature block. Lots of people had said they'd never thought about that before, but we've had a colleague who's explained why it really helps them feel included if they understand what people's pronouns are. It's a really simple thing for people to do, and now a lot of people are doing it. So that is a very... I think that's symbolized for me a really important thing about you raise awareness, you build understanding, you tell people what action they can take. People take that action and you get a sort of virtuous circle. And there's other things we're doing that are in that space that will just create a, a culture of signaling that inclusion is really important and that people can contribute to that. The only other thing I particularly wanted to mention in terms of action we've been taking is I'm a real believer that the sort of data you hold is a very important starting point. So we've had a huge push with colleagues about providing their diversity monitoring data so that we at an organizational level understand the population we have, we can understand where it is not representative of Scotland, and then we can, as Elizabeth described, the action plan that's being developed, we can be really focused on where do we want to prioritise action to make the biggest difference. And I think if we don't have that good underlying data, we'll always be guessing about whether we are putting our action into the places that are most in need of a change, but also we'll be guessing at whether our actions are making any difference because we won't be able to see the improvement in the data that will show us we are increasing the diversity, we are increasing the number of people from a particular protected characteristic in terms of their representation in the workforce. So those are just a couple of other things
0: that we've been sort of doing and will be the basis on which we build forward. Thank you so much. So now that we've looked at it from an internal point of view and how we're helping our colleagues and what we've done to support them so far, if we flip that question round and ask, how are we supporting our customers with our EDI strategy Jennifer? Again, I mean,
1: I said at the beginning, very important that as an you know as an organisation we are here to serve the people of Scotland, and the people of Scotland are diverse. So, we have very actively got co- colleagues who represent the sort of customer-facing part of our organisation involved in the EDI steering group, and they are bringing ideas to the table about what do we need to do to provide better support to customers? So we already do a lot of good stuff in this space. So all of our products that we provide customer facing go through lots of very detailed assessments to make sure that they support the needs of colleagues in terms of people with a visual impairment and that we have appropriate systems in place for people with hearing impairments or, you know, um, neurodiversity things and so on and so forth. We've done specific work um, with the Scottish Trans Alliance about how we support people who've undergone gender reassignment in terms of changing their name on the register and things like that and doing that in an appropriate and sensitive way. And we've got specific colleagues who are trained to support with those kind of inquiries. That's another good example where we talk to an expert external organisation to look at how we're going to approach something and get their input. Um, we've recently um, recognized that one of the things that would really help our customers is if we can speak to them in their native language so we've cast across the organization to understand who do we have in the organization who are native language speakers of other languages and we're now able to offer about 10 languages if someone calls up and they would prefer to talk to us in another language we may have a colleague who's able to take that call and support so we're just constantly looking I guess at where might customers be experiencing some barrier to accessing our services as effectively as possible or where could we improve the kind of support and inclusion for those customers accessing our services and we're making those improvements as as we can and then
0: listening to the feedback and making further improvements. Thank you so much, Jennifer. It sounds like we're making the steps to support our customers, just the same that we're supporting our colleagues alike. Um, Elizabeth, do you have anything to add on how we're supporting our customers?
3: Yeah, I'll just add a few more points. Um, we recently, was it about two months ago, um, got involved, and we um, in the public consultation by the Scottish Government on mainstreaming equality, um, equality under our um, Equality um, Act of 2010, which um, looks a lot on customer focusing um, activities here at Ross, and that in itself also um, highlighted areas of and areas that we have to work on. Also, we, uh, we also have an external communication plan on the um, EDI communication plan, whereby we keep um, our customers and, you know, potential customers abreast with all the EDI activities here at ROS. Also, we are improving, consistently improving our branding of ROS being an employer of choice. And um, also, finally, under the Equality Impact Assessment and the Corporate Equality Impact Assessment process, we're also going to look at at the various functions of the customer care area and that is going to be used as another conduit to improve even further on the high levels of customer care that we already have here at ROSS. Thank you so much. So are
0: there any ideas of EDI that we're particularly passionate about EDI. is something that's it's personal. It's you know it affects everyone. The the clues in the title of equality. Andrew, are there any areas that you're particularly passionate about?
2: Um, yeah, I suppose there are. There the, the, there are two or three. I, I, you can't help but start in the areas that are personal to you. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm going to start in the area of sexuality as a gay man, um, who uh, is the proud father of three children. Um, although they're somewhat older than being children nowadays. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I say that because um, without sounding like old man comments, uh, it wasn't always the case that people uh, of my age could be open about their sexuality in the workplace. Indeed, it was probably in some sectors the death to your career if you could do that. Now, there's more for us to do. I'm not pretending that we have everything right, that every person who uh, uh, feels comfortable uh, in sharing, whether it's their sexuality or their disability or whether they have a trans background, all of those things. Um, but, but clearly that's important to me because it's important to me personally. Um, and, and, you know, as a, gray, as a gay, I'll do that answer from the top, because um, I am grey, but... Um, <laughs> as a gay grandfather, you know, it's still the case that occasionally you get strange looks from people because they can't compute um, the two those two aspects of your of your personality of your life um, and I've learned to shrug it off and to make a joke of it and to smile about it and I, I'll be genuine and say it, it doesn't hurt but there are times when it would have hurt me and there are times when it will still hurt colleagues where people make inadvertent comments comments about those sorts of things um, so I, I, I think uh, the intersectionality of you know parenting responsibilities and sexuality or of disability and somebody's trans status is, is an area where uh, as, as a society not simply ROS but as a society there's more for us to do we should celebrate what we've done so far. Uh, But there is more, more for us to do to allow, you know, to use the words that Elizabeth used, and I think Jennifer did too, you know, people to bring their whole self to work.
0: Thank you so much for sharing that, Andrew. Jennifer, we'll move to you. What areas of EDI are you particularly passionate about?
1: I suppose I mean I'll start in the same vein as Andrew did because I guess you think initially about what's personal to you. A long-standing career as a woman in in environments where I was very often the only woman has meant I've had a very strong passion around gender equality, and I am hugely proud that ros doesn't have a gender pay gap because that is a huge huge achievement but i guess that then spurs on my passion for all the aspects of edi to say it is possible to remove any of those kind of gaps between how people experience the workplace and i don't ever think the job is never done i mean i think ros is an excellent inclusive organization whatever your background But I know that I can constantly learn about what more we can do to ensure colleagues feel included, educate colleagues. I think I guess if I had to sum up what I'm passionate about, it's continually learning more about the EDI agenda, seeking to understand and in an appropriate way, ask colleagues from different backgrounds what I can or should be doing and what we as an organisation can or should be doing. To sort of ensure they feel fully included and able to give their very best to the organisation. And I think something about empowering people to have the right language to ask the questions, to not feel like they might put their foot in it if they're kind of going to ask about something, and to be, you know, appropriately sensitive, but kind of ask, because I think that's how we'll build that sort of really good shared understanding. And I think it's probably eye opening for people in terms of raising that awareness makes people understand that, yeah, there are absolutely still people who maybe not always in the workplace, but certainly in wider society don't feel as included, don't feel that they can be as open about themselves. And that's what I really feel passionate about, I guess, sort of getting that resolved and and creating the climate within ROS where we can start
0: there. Elizabeth, we'll move on to you. What areas of EDI are you particularly passionate
3: about? Well, again, going back to my own personal story, I think um, for me, um, it's about um, being a black woman in a mainly white society. And um, um, I have worked in this arena for 25 years. And believe you me, I've heard every possible story about how, you know, even in this 21st century, black women and men are being treated in the workplace. So, and um, if I must, um, over the past two years, my younger daughter, you know, my older daughter, sorry, about 10 years ago, you know, each time we go to the gym and we come and I'm going to, I am a storyteller, so I'll tell you the story. So each time we went to the gym, you know, we were like one of the very few black faces here in the gym and after about a year or so one day she commented and she said mommy how come all the cleaners in this place are black women and we are we are normally the only black people here so it made me think about a lot of things so about two years ago I started um, helping and Around the same time, I'd also become very interested in Black women thriving in the workplace. So I started um, an executive coaching pro bono um, um, gig or project or whatever you call it, about how to encourage Black women to use career progression and career trajectory as a way to create wealth build a thriving socioeconomic life for themselves and also use it to influence subsequent generations after them. At the last count, um, when I, I haven't been able to be as active as I used to do, but I have worked with women from every continent here in this beautiful world of ours. Just mention the continent and the stories are normally all the same. You know, or there is a common trend of microaggression, you know, and not thriving in the workplace, being seen as inferior, you know, black women having to work two or three times better than their white counterparts and only getting half the recognition. And as, I think up to date, I personally, as a result of my pro bono, have contributed something like half a million to the black economy globally. And I believe that, you know, One of the areas in which we can succeed as, as, you know, Blacks, whatever you call us, is to build up the socioeconomic power within our communities.
0: Thank you so much, Elizabeth. Thank you for sharing your personal story. It's been great to hear everyone's personal takes on what they're passionate about. And as you and Jennifer and Andrew have all said, we are all on this learning journey. And I think that's the most important thing. So a big part of our EDI work is driven by our colleague networks. And this month marks Pride Month, a month to celebrate the LGBT plus community and raise awareness of the difficulties they face. Andrew, you touched on the fact that you're a gay father and a grandfather. Why do you feel it's important for the organisation to recognise and celebrate this month?
2: Thanks, Raman. I I guess there are a number of things. The the first is um, that to not do it would leave our staff, I suspect, wondering really whether we were taking all of this very seriously or not. Uh, So that might sound like a negative reason, but, but... I think it's much more than that. It's to demonstrate to people um, that we aim to be an inclusive employer. And I think in the same breath saying, but we know there's more to do. Uh, and, and and that's sort of a reflection on what I said earlier that, you know, goodness me, isn't life for people in the LGBT plus community very different than it was 20, 30 years ago and in the workplace? Yes, it is, but particularly um, for, for people in the trans community, I think there's more that we need to do culturally as a society. And of course, you know, Ros is just a microcosm of, of Scottish society. Um, I, I would say in the same breath, of course, that even for people with those protected characteristics, as it were, pride isn't for everybody. Some people believe that, they're, you know, that, that they don't want to talk openly about those aspects of their life at, at work. And we should respect that, too, um, because we don't all bring everything that's going on in our personal lives to work as a matter of choice. The important thing is that we should be free to be able to do that if we want to to do it Uh, and I guess finally as a gay man, I'd say who would turn down an excuse to have a party. Um, This is a brilliant time of year because May is Eurovision and June is Pride. Uh, What more could a boy ask for in the sunshine? Oh,
0: love it. Thank you so much Andrew, that was great. Um, Jennifer, what about you? Um, You've been involved in some of our Pride Month celebrations before it was. Why do you think it's so important for us to recognise this month?
1: I think for me it's about the opportunity to demonstrate allyship and clearly that doesn't that isn't confined to just a particular month but it's as Andrew said it's a very it's a very sort of symbolic opportunity to say you know as a leader in ROS I want to be an ally to those groups in ROS who are in the minority and it's a very visible way in which I can demonstrate that allyship. Um, I'm really looking forward to going on the Pride March with ROS colleagues. I'm looking forward to being there and demonstrating my support actively. And I think that's for me what allyship is about. It is about, as Elizabeth said, that sort of curiosity and building understanding. And then it's about what can I practically do to demonstrate my support. And I think we've got great another great example, just in the spirit of Elizabeth and the story sharing, a great example of sort of how as an organisation we can demonstrate allyship. Um, uh, our LGBT network um, came up with the idea of rainbow coloured lanyards, which we organised as an organisation. This was back when we were all in the office all the time. And it was such a visible symbol. So many colleagues got a rainbow coloured lanyard. And then the feedback we had from other people coming into the organisation was, I see an instant symbol about the support that this organisation has for the LGBT community. And it makes me as someone from that background feel comfortable just coming through the door. And I think Pride Month is a great opportunity to celebrate and show that support again in a a different way by by being an active part of
0: the celebrations. Thank you so much, Jennifer. And Elizabeth, I'll come to you finally. Why do you think Pride is so important to to celebrate and recognise in these organisations?
3: There is so much that we, um, you know, globally must do in terms of social reforms and our perception again, I mean, our our perceptions about LGBT um, communities. And I'll give an example. My heritage or ancestry is from Ghana. And I know that wasn't this year, I stand stand to be corrected, but very recently they have tried to publish a bill that will criminalise LGBT, you know, in the country. And, you know, um, and it has been backed a lot a lot especially by religious organizations so we need to have a global social reform you know about our attitudes also um there needs to be um we need to teach our children you know like since like i mean since like love is love you know, expecting, you know, as, you know, again, people bringing their unique selves to their, to their office place, you know, why does a colleague have to come into the office, you know, what they call, is it called parallel lives, so that, so they The the colleague comes to the office and drops down, you know, my LGBT status comes, laughs with everybody. People are talking about, you know, their religious views or their children, their partners and things, and they don't feel bold enough to bring that unique aspect of themselves. So they go and then they pick up. We cannot tell colleagues to bring half or three quarters of themselves. They must bring their unique selves and we ourselves must be curious enough to learn from them. That was
0: such an interesting discussion and it's great to know that Roz is truly passionate about improving equality, diversity and inclusion for everyone. And it will be wonderful to see the opportunities that this creates in the future. You can read our EDI strategy on our website and you can find the link for that in the podcast description. Thank you so much to Jennifer, Andrew and Elizabeth for joining me today and thank you for listening. Please subscribe to our podcast at anchor.fm forward slash registers of Scotland. This podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. Thank you so much.